Heavenly Father, we do thank you once again for giving us your word. Lord, it is such a precious gift to know that we have words not of a man, but words of God. Lord, we thank you that you used man to bring us these words. And we thank you that you used the author of Hebrews to bring us the message that we have before us. Lord, we do not know who that man was with any real certainty. But Lord, we thank you for him. And we thank you for using him. And we thank you for the benefit that we have had for the last couple of weeks, reading from Hebrews and hearing what it says. Lord, we pray that you will be with us again as we finish this chapter together. Lord, we pray that we may have insight into what it says about your son, Jesus Christ, and what it says about your angels. And may we magnify your name this morning as a result of hearing from your word. And we pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. Well, commands say quite a lot about the person who's being commanded. When you give a command to someone, the command in itself can say quite a lot. If I say, go to your room, that generally implies that the person who I'm ordering around is beneath me and probably being punished. This is the case if I say it to Joshua, my son, go to your room. But also if I was to say it to Jill, go to your room, it would also imply that I, in my mind, think that she's somehow beneath me and deserves to be punished by sent to her room. But if I say, here, eat some chocolate, that implies that you're a person that I'm favouring because my chocolate is very precious to me and so I do not share it uh, that willingly. And so if I share it with you, that means that you're a person that I'm favouring. If I say that command, please eat some chocolate, it says quite a lot about my opinion of you. Well, we've been looking at Jesus and we've been looking at angels in the book of Hebrews uh, for almost two months now. And today we're going to look at the commands given to Jesus and to angels and what they tell us about God's opinion of Jesus and of angels. Because we've got two, we've got um, these two verses here, which basically have two commands in them, and they tell us quite a lot about what God thinks of Jesus and what God thinks of angels. Firstly, we're going to look at Jesus, and my first main point this morning is that Jesus is commanded to sit down and put his feet up, and we read that in verse thirteen, Hebrews chapter one, page one one eight four of the Black Church Bibles. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 13 reads, To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? But hang on a minute. Is that talking about Jesus? Is Jesus mentioned in the verse? To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? No, it doesn't mention Jesus. It doesn't mention him as son. Is it talking about Jesus? Well, I think if we take into the context of the passage uh, of Hebrews chapter 1, where it keeps giving us something about Jesus, then something about angels, well, we see that verse 14 is clearly about angels. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? And so that verse is fairly likely that it's about Jesus, verse 13. But this verse that's quoted here, 
uh, in verse 13, it's quoting an Old Testament verse from Psalm 110. Psalm 110, this verse, is actually one of the most quoted verses in the New Testament from the Old Testament. And it's used again and again to refer to Jesus. Psalm 110 is used again and again to refer to Jesus. And so we can be pretty sure that he's talking about Jesus here. And really, it's a question that's given in verse 13. And it's given in a question form because the answer's obvious. The author is not saying, oh, did anyone say to the angels, sit at my right hand? I'm not really sure. Can you answer? No, it's a rhetorical device that he's using here, a rhetorical question, where the answer is obvious. No, no angel's ever been told that, but Jesus has been told to sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Okay, so verse 13 is about Jesus. The command is given to Jesus. What does it teach us about Jesus? What does it teach us about God's opinion of Jesus, this command? What is he told to do? Well, firstly, we see that he's told to sit. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit? Now, is the command sit a good thing? Is it a good command? Does it always imply something good? Well, not always. Who do you command to sit? Well, you can command someone that's come into your house, yes, sit down. But you can also, I say sit a lot these days, to my son Joshua. We let him sit on the... um, on the chair next to us at the dinner table. But he loves to stand up on the chair and lean all over the dinner table and then look like he's going to topple off. And so I say, sit, sit, Joshua, sit. And it's a command that he's doing something disobedient. Sit. And, of course, the command sit, we often think about dogs, don't we? Sit, Ubu, sit. Good dog. You know, sit. You command the dog to sit. It's not doing the right thing. It's meant to sit. Is that what's being said to here, to Jesus? Is it a, in a bad sense that it's coming across there? Sit. No, because where is he sitting? He's sitting in God's presence. And God is the king. And do you sit in the king's presence very easily? No. If you go see the king, you stand there, or you grovel at the feet of the king. If you get the chance to sit, it's because the king is favouring you. If he says sit, it's a good thing that the king is saying to you. And so when God says to Jesus, sit, it's implying something very good about Jesus Christ, that he is being honoured in a very special way, in that he is allowed to sit in the king's presence. But is it just anywhere that he's being told to sit? What does it say? Sit at my right hand. He's not just told to sit across the room. He's told to sit at the right hand of God. The kings of the, the Bible, they had two good seats. You could sit in the room, but you could also sit at the right hand of the king or at the left hand of the king. And to sit at one of those two seats was a very high honour because you were seen to be an advisor to the king, and particularly the one sitting at the right hand of God because the right hand of God is the position of power and authority where you get to advise God on what he's going to do in administering his power and his authority. So Jesus is not just told to sit. He's told to sit at my right hand. And so this is a great honour from God. He's not just told to sit in the king's presence. He's told to sit in the special seat at the right hand of God. 
And so this command tells us quite a lot about how Jesus is in God's eyes. But is that it? He's just told to sit and at God's right hand? No, it continues. Verse 13, Hebrews chapter 1. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. He's told to put his feet up. Now that's a good thing, isn't it? If you get invited into someone's place and they say, take a seat and put your feet up. Not just that you're special enough to take a seat, you're special enough to be able to put your feet up. And I love putting my feet up. I put my feet up on a desk, put my feet up on a coffee table, put my feet up on those things that you're supposed to put your feet up on, the Ottomans. It's a good thing to be told, you can put your feet up in my house. And Jesus is told that by God. He's not just said, sit, sit at my right hand. He said, you can put your feet up, Jesus. You're that special in my eyes. But it goes even further. Where does he put his feet up? What does it say? Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. He doesn't just put his feet up on a coffee table. He puts his feet up on his enemies, which God makes for a footstool for him. That sounds like a very unusual thing to want, to have your enemy brought in, put down before you, and you get to stick your feet up on them. But what's going on there is this, uh, this action that happened again and again in the Old Testament and in, that, in those periods where when you conquered someone, you brought the king forward of the enemy and you made them kneel and you put your foot on their neck to show that you had dominated that country and that that country was now in humble service to you. And we see that with Joshua when he's conquered in the, in the land of Canaan He gets the commanders of the Israelite army and gets the kings that they've conquered to come before them and they put their feet up on their necks showing that they have utterly subdued the enemy. Because it's very hard to put your feet up on an enemy. You might be able to catch your enemy, put them in jail. You might be able to get them to do hard work for you, but to get them down on the ground with their neck there for you to put your foot on them, it's quite difficult. They can resist and wriggle even at that point and make it a very uncomfortable footstool to put your feet on. But these enemies are shown that they are down to the point of being a footstool for Jesus. They are utterly subdued. And so... Jesus is given the greatest honour here. He's given a command, but that command tells us how good he is in God's eyes. He is told to sit in the king's presence. He is told to sit at the right hand of God, the special seat. He is told to put his feet up, and he's told to put them up on the enemies as God brings them in and makes them a footstool for his feet. So Jesus is shown to be honoured by God with the command that he's given. What about the angels? What are they commanded to do? Well, my second main point this morning is that angels are commanded to serve Christians. Verse 13 was all about Jesus and the command given to him. And then we get this comparison with angels and we see what they are supposed to do. What are they told to do? Verse 14, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? What do angels do? They serve. Who do they serve? 
Well, they serve God, but who does he send them to serve? Serve those who inherit salvation. Who inherits salvation? Christians inherit salvation. And so it's kind of like lending your servant out to someone else. I always say I wish I had a servant. I particularly like a butler. Be like if I had a butler and he serves me, but I send him to go and serve someone else for the day. And that's what God is doing with his angels. He's saying, you're serving me, but your job today as you serve me will be to go and serve those who inherit salvation, Christians. Now, how do angels serve Christians? Well, firstly, we see that angels serve by delivering messages and by delivering the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. We see that particularly in the New Testament, don't we? Where do angels show up? They show up and tell Mary that the Messiah is going to come and he's going to come through her. They show up and they tell shepherds while they watch their flocks by night all seated on the ground. An angel of the Lord comes down and glory shines around. The angels deliver the message that the Christ has come, the Messiah has come. They also are involved in announcing the resurrection. Who are the first witnesses of Jesus' resurrection? Mary and the women at the tomb? And then Peter and John? No. Who tells them that Jesus has been raised? Angels. Angels are there announcing the resurrection. Who announces that the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles is gone? An angel appears to Peter on a rooftop and appears to Cornelius in Acts and says, you're all one people now. Do not call unclean what God has called clean. That dividing wall has been broken down. They also announce that Jesus will return. When Jesus goes up in the cloud at the beginning of Acts, who appears? Some angels and say, men, why do you keep gazing up in the clouds? Jesus will come back the same way that you have seen him go. They announce that Jesus will return. They rejoice when you are converted. They're involved in your salvation in the fact that they deliver the message, but they also rejoice. If you become a Christian today, there are angels singing in heaven about you for becoming a Christian. They are there rejoicing. They are involved in Judgment Day. They will divide up the sheep and the goats, the good fish and the bad fish. They are there dividing up. And, of course, they're the ones that take us to heaven. If we die, if I died later today, an angel, it says um, the, the story that Jesus gives of Lazarus, the, the poor man who's at the, the king's palace all day and then he dies and he gets transported to Abraham by an angel, carried to heaven by angels. Angels are involved in your salvation, in sharing the gospel message and carrying you to heaven. What else do angels do? How do they minister to you? They minister to you by providing protection here on earth. We see this particularly in the Old Testament again and again. Angels show up and protect God's people in this life. The angel of the Lord is there with the Israelites as they leave Exodus and go into the land of Canaan, helping them conquer that land, protecting them from their enemies. The angel is there when Elisha is 
there and he is worried, uh, he's not worried, his servant is worried that the armies are coming and Elisha says, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And he sees the horsemen and chariots of God there, hidden. And he knows that he is protected by angels. We see it with Lot, he's protected. The angels take him out of the city of of Sodom before uh, burning sulfur comes down on it. We see who closes the lion's mouths for Daniel in the lion's den. An angel is there protecting him, giving him earthly security. And then in the New Testament, do angels stop serving in that way, protecting? When the apostles are arrested and put in prison, what happens twice in the New Testament? An angel comes and sets them free, takes off their chains, opens the door, let them out, provides earthly protection. And Paul, when he's on the boat that's going to be shipwrecked and everyone's afraid, what happens? An angel comes and reassures Paul that everything's going to be okay. Angels provide protection in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. What about today? Do they still do that? Well, again and again in church history, people have witnessed what can only be angels protecting Christians. I read um, from a a commentary uh, by Kent Hughes. Uh, He gives quite a few accounts of credible, reliable stories about angels protecting Christians just in the last century. Uh, The first one's about John Payton, who was a missionary to the New Hebrides, which is now Vanuatu, which was all cannibals when he arrived. Uh, And it says, On a dark night about a 100 years ago, a Scottish missionary couple found themselves surrounded by cannibals intent on taking their lives. That terror-filled night, they fell to their knees and prayed that God would protect them. Intermittent with their prayers, the missionaries heard the cries of the savages and expected them to come through the door at any moment. But as the sun began to rise, to their astonishment, they found that the natives were retreating into the forest. The couple's hearts soared to God. It was a day of rejoicing. The missionaries bravely continued their work. A year later, the chieftain of that tribe was converted. As the missionary spoke with him, he remembered the horror of that night. He asked the chieftain why he and his men had not killed them. The chief replied, Who were all those men who were with you? The missionary answered, Why, there were no men with us. There was just my wife and myself. The chieftain began to argue with him, saying, There were hundreds of tall men in shining garments with drawn swords circling about your house, so we could not attack you. Who were those men? Angels protecting God's missionary there. What about this one? A Norwegian missionary, Mary Monson, who served in North China, experienced the intervention of angels on several occasions. In her autobiography, she tells how looting soldiers had surrounded the mission compound but never entered, leaving the missionaries unharmed and happily perplexed. A few days later, they learned why when a marauder explained that as they were about to enter the compound, they saw tall soldiers with shining faces on a high roof of the compound. Angels there protecting this missionary. In 1956, during the Mau Mau uprisings in East Africa, who had gone from Vanuatu 
to China, now to East Africa. A band of roving Mau Maus came to the village of Lauri, surrounded it, and killed every inhabitant, including women and children, 300 in all. Not more than three miles away was the Rift Valley Academy, a private school where the missionary children were being educated. Immediately upon leaving the carnage of Lauri, the natives came with spears, bows and arrows, clubs and torches to the school with violent intentions. So they've just killed 300 people, now they're coming to the school. In the darkness, lighted torches were seen coming toward the school. Soon there was a complete ring of terrorists around the academy, cutting off all avenues of escape. Shouts and curses could be heard coming from the Mau Maus. They began to advance on the school, tightening the circle, shouting louder and louder, coming closer. Then, inexplicably, when they were close enough to throw spears, they stopped. They began retreating and soon were running into the jungle. The army was called out and fortunately captured the entire band of raiders. Later at their trial, the leader was called to the witness stand. The judge questioned him. On this particular night, did you kill the inhabitants of Lowry? Yes. Well then, why did you not complete the mission? Why didn't you attack the school? The leader of the Mau Maus answered, We were on our way to attack and destroy all the people and school, but as we came closer, all of a sudden, between us and the school, there were many huge men dressed in white with flaming swords, and we became afraid and ran to hide. His the last one. Jim Marsteller recounts the following story told him by his uncle Clyde, Clyde Taylor, founder of the National Association of Evangelicals. Dr. Clyde Taylor, who married my grandfather's sister and my uncle Charlie Marsteller, were missionaries in the early 1920s to a headhunting tribe in South America now. They were beside a river in the forest living in a thatched hut. One day late in the afternoon they noticed a dugout being paddled down the river with only one man in it. Their immediate thought was that warriors were coming to kill them that night. The dugout could hold over 40 men, and they realized that the men were probably going to kill them. Uncle Clyde and Charlie had a 22 rifle in their hut, and they took it out and some ammo and into the tall grass off to the side of their dwelling. There they stayed all night in their own private prayer meeting, expecting that if, they, if attacked, they would fire the gun into the air to frighten the headhunters. Nothing happened that night, and they had no trouble with the tribe for the rest of their term in South America. They both returned home after their term was over, and it wasn't until nine years later that Clyde was able to visit the field. One day he encountered one of the men from the tribe who had since become a Christian. He asked the native about what happened that night. The former headhunter said, I remember that night there were 44 of us, and we were coming to set fire to your hut. When we got there and surrounded the hut, we realized we could not attack because there were hundreds of men dressed in white with swords and shields standing all around your hut and even on the roof. That is why I am a Christian now. Again and again in history, angels have shown up to protect God's people. So angels, what are they commanded to do? They're commanded to serve Christians by sharing the gospel message and providing earthly security like they have done in the Old Testament, New Testament and even today. So who is honoured more? Angels or Jesus by the command? Well, angels do have a good command there, don't they? They are serving God, which is a good thing, but they're serving foolish, weak, pathetic, unholy Christians, aren't they? It's not necessarily the best of jobs. 
What about Jesus? He's been told to sit down at the right hand of God and put his feet up on his enemies. Clearly, Jesus is more favoured by God. And so we see once again, the author of Hebrews has made a clear case that angels are inferior to Jesus. And so if you're going to pick someone to listen to, listen to Jesus. Don't go back to the old way of Judaism given to you by angels at Mount Sinai. The final revelation of Jesus Christ has come in Jesus Christ. Yes, you were persecuted for being a Christian, but hold on to Jesus because he is far superior to anything else in this world or in the heavenly realms of angels. But what about you? We've seen what Jesus is commanded to do. We've seen what angels are commanded to do. What about you? What are you commanded to do? Well, there's only two options for you in this text, isn't there? Two options. Either you can be an enemy of Jesus. Humans are mentioned only twice. Once as an enemy and once as those who will inherit salvation. And so my third main point this morning is you are commanded to be a footstool or to be served. You, can be com- you are commanded to be a footstool or to be served. So are you going to be a footstool for Jesus? If you're a non-Christian, then you are an enemy of Jesus Christ. You are a rebel against him because you have not trusted in him as your saviour. And so you will be made to be a footstool of Jesus. On Judgment Day, you won't be with Jesus Christ as one of his brothers. You'll be down on the floor being subdued, utter subjection to him as a footstool for him to put his feet on. I beg of you, don't let that happen. Don't be an enemy of Jesus Christ. How do you not be an enemy of Jesus Christ? You repent of your sins. You admit you are sorry for what you have done in rebelling against him and believe that Jesus Christ died for you, that you are a sinner and you have a great debt against God and you need Jesus' sacrifice to pay for your sins. Don't be an enemy. Instead, be one who is served by angels. Be one of those who will inherit salvation. And so the angels come and serve you. But if you are a Christian, I want to encourage you this morning to embrace being served by angels. I must admit, I don't think much about angels. And when I pray to God for help, I don't think much about him sending an angel to help me. I more look for visible signs of protection that you know God will use a human or something to come and protect me from whatever is, is going on. But how many times have you been protected and not even known it, that you've been like Elisha's servant who hasn't seen the armies of God there protecting you? Just like these missionaries, again and again, they didn't see the angels, but the enemies did and backed off. How many times has that happened in your life? Someone has been coming to attack you and an angel has intervened to prevent it. Be thankful, if you're a Christian, that God has angels and that he sends them to serve you. They serve you 
by bringing the gospel message, as you listen to their testimony in the Bible, as they will one day carry you to be safe in God's arms. But they also protect you now. Embrace that. Be thankful that God sends his angels and ask for help through his angels. It's a prayer I don't pray very often, and I really should. God, send your angel to protect me from harm. Protect me from the evil one. Embrace being an heir of salvation and that God sends his angels to serve you. Let us speak with him now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have told Jesus to sit at your right hand until you make his enemies a footstool for his feet. Lord, we thank you that he surpasses everything, every creation, every person, every angel. He is above all. And Lord, we thank you that you send angels to serve those who will inherit salvation. Lord, we pray that no one in this room will be your enemy and be a footstool for Jesus' feet. Instead, may they embrace salvation through repentance and faith and on Judgment Day stand with Jesus rather than under Jesus' feet. And Lord, we do pray that we as Christians may continue to be thankful to you for sending your angels to serve us. Lord, we thank you for sending them to witness to us through the, the Gospels about Jesus' resurrection, Jesus' second coming. And Lord, we thank you for the many times you have protected us in this world with your angels. And we pray that you may continue to send relief through your angels to us in our persecutions. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.